Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 12.33 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer with you on Oilers Now. Where guests receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Roos Chris, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow the sizzle to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie and the orders now. Uh, tell Maggie that and their staff at Roos Chris that orders now sent you. I bumped into Brendan Connolly uh, last Wednesday night at an event uh, at Rogers Place. Uh, Brendan is the uh, proprietor of Roos Chris. It was great seeing him there. All right, you can text us at 630-630. One of the questions that I have for people out on the Heartland Ford text line is that, uh, theoretically, if you were to move Yesapoliarvi along, most likely scenario might be for another prospect that maybe needs a new fresh start. So fire some text with some ideas and some, some suggestions, and we'll get to that right now. Without further ado, though, we are going to go to Boston, where Craig Simpson's getting ready to work Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final. Hi, Craig. How are you? I'm doing well, Bob. How are you? Good. Uh, what's the weather like there today? Uh, it's a beautiful day. I'm out on my typical uh, walk along the Boston Harbor, so it's... Uh, it's quite a great day. And it was always a great place for you as an Edmonton Oiler as well, wasn't it? 5-0, and I believe, yeah. uh, during your uh, playoff career in Boston? Yeah, I know. It's always a great place to be, and it's an oddity. I, I think Jim Houston and I were talking uh, the only other Stanley Cup final that we went wire-to-wire wire with the same team was in 2011. We started with Vancouver, and they made it all the way to the final against Boston. And so this year it's been a rarity to have every single series of Boston. So it's been a fun uh, journey in that regard as you see the challenges of each and every series and what makes it different. Are you surprised at the two games that were played in St. Louis? The the result of the two, you know, 7-2, one game for Boston, St. Louis bounces back and gets themselves a 4-2 victory. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's another good reminder of how the games change with each and every one. It's hard to carry momentum over from game to game, and it's one where, you know, I, I felt that St. Louis was going to have to beat a Bruins team that was going to be at their best. And I, I would say St. Louis did their job in playing their best game of the series. I, I don't think that the Bruins felt that they played their best. And so as we look ahead to game five, I, I think it's going to be one where you would expect uh, – uh, a veteran Bruin team to be a much better hockey club, and this should be probably the most uh, difficult game to win for St. Louis being on the road. Uh, yeah, no question about that. Zidane Chara, what's the latest there? Is well, he he wasn't around today, and so like everybody has been speculating a broken jaw. I, I thought watching it, you know, whenever you get hit, if you get hit directly sometimes, that can really save you in terms of you know, not moving your jaw so dramatically, but because it was off to the side, I, I think watching it and him not coming back for the rest of the period, that was sort of our assessment during the game. So I'd be surprised, Bob, if he probably plays game five, but I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, you know, with two games off now between games uh, all the way through, uh, I would 
think probably they'll try to get maybe Grizzlick back tomorrow, which it, it looks like he might be cleared to play. So if you can bring Grizzlick in and buy yourself another four days, uh, give Chara a chance to maybe come back in game six. So you can play with a broken jaw? Uh, you know, it's not ideal, and it depends where the break is. Uh, a lot of times they have to wire your jaw shut, so that's difficult. You know, if you've got your your wire your jaw wired shut, I don't think your breathing is in the uh, ability to play at an NHL level, but we'll have to wait and see. You know, it might be one where he's just got to play with all sorts of discomfort and play with that full shield on, but, uh, you know, it is, it's the Stanley Cup Finals, so... If there's a possibility for him to play, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they play him and, and dress seven defense just in case he can't go. What is the worst injury you played with during the course of your NHL career come playoff time? Ah, uh, geez, come playoff time, usually just, you know, more bumps and bruises. I was very fortunate on the two Stanley Cup runs to uh, not really have anything uh, tremendously, you know, uh, uh, that holds you back from anything. You, I think you always have sort of broken ribs or, you know, bruised up ribs. Uh, but I was very fortunate on the two long runs we had uh, uh, to not be in that scenario. I, I remember Kevin Lowe in the uh, 1988, he had a cast on his hand and he had a broken rib. And, you know, I, I think sometimes, depending on what your role is, you know, if you've got a cast on your top hand, it's obviously going to affect you offensively, but when you're a defenseman and just uh, you know good active stick and be physical and do things like that, so I think every injury uh, sometimes is more pertinent because of what position you play. And so, for Chara in this instance, you know if he can breathe and it doesn't affect his his conditioning in that regard, I think you'll see him at least uh, give a go at it and see if he can play. I, I'm just not. I wouldn't think it's going to be in Game Five. Uh, a week ago, we were talking about Bergeron. After the last game, we got to talk about Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, man, what a great player he is, eh? Yeah, you know, he's had the kind of season that uh, separated him and, and given him a lot of uh, uh, notoriety for a good two-way game. And so, you know, there, there's a game from a guy who's an important part of their team, and he does a lot of things. He takes more face-offs than anybody has during this playoffs. Uh, so those are always key moments, and you can't underestimate the importance of that, whether it be on a penalty kill or an offensive zone power play. You know, to be able to rely upon a guy to be 60% and snap the puck back and get control, uh, he's been a big part of the, the turnaround when things did turn around for them in the new year. Uh, but it's another example. You know, he came into that last game with just three goals in 21 games. And so in a in a huge game in an emotional environment uh, to get that first goal 43 seconds in, I think was just paramount for St. Louis to have something positive happen. And uh, good for him. Uh, I thought he was effective all night. The goal he scored uh, to win the game was, you know, another good example of driving to those hard areas, stick on the ice, tracking the puck well. And, uh, uh, you know, that might be, if you look back, if St. Louis is going to win this series, I, I don't think there's any question you look back to game four after a really disappointing game three on home ice to come back and get that kind of a game out of him and have two goals, you know, the, the all important first momentum goal uh, minute in and then to score in the third period of a two, two hockey game will be something that he can definitely point to as a, as a milestone in his career. You talk about momentum, Craig, 
game to game. How about momentum shift to shift to shift? I mean, St. Louis had that three shift run where they yep. were that went for about three minutes to get a power play out of it, and they were gifted the call. Like Tarasenko sold that a bit, and then boom, Boston scores a shorty. But that three <laughs> that three plus minute shift was awesome. I mean, it's it's yeah, rare it, you see that anymore today. Well, it it is, but it, I think it's paramount to good teams. I think we talked about it a bit last uh, week. Yes. Of, you know the importance of those kind of players in your lineup that can bring a shift. The next shift comes out and is inspired by a, a real good aggressive play. Now all of a sudden you get two or three more big hits. And I've always felt that those are the ones that get your bench going and get some life in your team and really inspires the next guys up. You know, you always talk about next man up. Well, I, I think you see in those kind of moments in a in a series or in a key part of a, a game where you're down and you really need to win, that those are the things that show you've got the right makeup in your group, that the, that the team is all playing for each other, that they respond out of... So often, Bob, it's not a goal that gets you going. It's just what you said, those those kind of shifts that are momentum-swinging shifts and get the crowd on their feet, get the bench all up, get the next guys coming out with a more you know, urgent sense of purpose. And I, I think St. Louis, I, I, I wasn't sure if they had that in them. Uh, you know, They didn't really show it uh, in stretches in the three games prior, and that's really what you need to have to have success. And if they're going to win here in Boston, that's the, the kind of pack mentality that you have to have to be successful. From NHL Hockey and Rogers and Hockey Night in Canada, Craig Simpson joining us in Oilers now. Bob Stoffer with you. Craig, we're going to switch focus uh, this morning. Actually, I, I started getting tweeted about it last night. There was yep. erroneous reports that uh, Joker out of uh, Finland, which is a team that your former teammate Gary Curry runs, Yep. Uh, had signed yes to Poliarvi now for the KHL. His rights are actually owned by Torpedo. Um, Marcus Leto was quoted today by Mark Spector. Uh, you know, basically, hey, Poliarvi's in Edmonton. He's rehabbing. But you sort of read between the lines. Would it be yep. best for this guy to get a fresh start? What would you do if you were Ken Holland? If you were GM of the Edmonton Oilers, uh, coming in new with a new head coach, Dave Tippett, what would you do with yes to well, I do some research on the person and whether it's talking to everybody who's been involved with him as a as a coach or even some teammates and get a feel for what the, the guy is. I think when you look at good teams around the league, um, more often than not, it's the people that matter more than the player. And uh, I, I think that that is something that it's hard to evaluate GMs and their ability to bring in the right people, the people that are motivated, that are team-oriented, that are really goal-setters. Set, and so I would do that. I'm sure I would be reaching out to him individually if I were the GM, the new GM, and have a good heart-to-heart and say, you know, past doesn't mean anything other than learning from what hasn't worked in the past. And so that, for me, would be the first step for for Kenny Holland is to get an assessment of his own of what this kid is about and what his personality needs or what he didn't get or what went wrong in the process and then make that determination from there. Uh, I think you go back, uh, you know, you're trying to compare guys in the past. And, you know, I look at probably the most notable one of, a quote-unquote failure to success would be Marcus Nadlund, who never got anything going in, in Pittsburgh, was deemed as a failure and a lost prospect, and 
to his credit, when he got traded to Vancouver, you know, I, I wouldn't say Vancouver did anything remarkable with him. I credit the player realizing the opportunity, and he was the one that drove himself to be, you know, what he is, a Hall of Fame great player. And so uh, I, I think that's really part of it. And I'm not surprised to hear some rumblings of other opportunities because if I'm his GM, you got to create options out there so that you're not sitting as a you know lame duck with no chance of signing anywhere else. So I'm not surprised to hear some talk. At the end of the day, though, it's it's the player who's got to be just focused on himself. For Yessa, this is the most important summer of his young professional life to to be prepared and be ready to to wherever he gets his opportunity, whether it's starting a training camp in Edmonton with a new deal or if it's a trade at the draft with a new opportunity, it's all on uh, his shoulders to just be prepared and be ready to be the best he can be. If he does get moved, does logic dictate that a similar type of player coming back is the most likely scenario? A guy that's uh, maybe... most, most likely, but I think, Bob, that the Oilers have enough in the uh, cupboard right now that, you know, I, I think this is one of those uh, draft table years where you might see a package, uh, whether it's a package of a draft pick and prospects or, you know, some of the um, prospects who are already playing in the American League that you bundle up for a good player. And so, yes, I think your, your logic is there that it's probably going to be another guy in another organization that is quote-unquote deemed to have not panned out that you might get a chance to resurrect but i think this is a unique year with a new gm and you know some deals that might happen to shed some salary uh that you might see him packaged up in a deal that becomes you know a bigger deal from a player perspective coming back because of that package we're joined right now by craig simpson bob stoffer with you on Oilers now craig uh Paul Yarby is a small player relative to some of the bigger names. I know last night, uh, Sean Avery on Instagram had, had inferred that Jacob Trub had been traded by Winnipeg to Toronto for Nazem Kadri. Right. Um, there, you know, there's reports Eric Carlson maybe looking for uh, options closer to where his wife's from, back in Ottawa or. Montreal, there's some wild stuff out there right now, and you're right in the the center of the hockey universe, uh, working that Stanley Cup final. It's a pretty unique time of year, isn't it? Yeah, it always is. I, I think the the straight, not strange thing, but the unique thing about when you get into June, still playing hockey, you know, thirty now, well, thirty uh, twenty nine other teams, anyways are focused on the now and what's happening at the draft. And, you know, you've, you've got two teams that are solely focused on trying to win a Stanley Cup. And the others have moved on and are, are farther ahead in the, okay, let's shuffle the deck. What's going to happen at the draft? What deals can we make? Um, so I, I don't think it's, it's uh, unusual to have, you know, discussions going on now while hockey's still being played. Uh, it's interesting, the Carlson one, you know, there's another scenario that, the way it ended for him and the problems he's had with his groin and how much it's affected the last couple of years, you know, for him, I'm not surprised again. If I'm his agent, I, I'm trying to stir up as much uh, opportunity and action and teams involved as he can to, to try to maximize what, you know, should be a slam dunk normally with a player of that caliber as an unrestricted free agent at the age that he is. But I think there's a lot of question marks if you're going to sign that player 
to the kind of number that you're going to have to in the years. And so I wouldn't be surprised if you hear a lot of those rumblings from his camp trying to drum up uh, as much interest as you can to see what happens going into free agency. Now, agents can drum up things a lot of ways, but one thing that hasn't been drummed up over the last six years is an offer sheet. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly got the last one. Uh, There hasn't been an accepted offer sheet since the Oilers got Dustin Penner back in uh, July of 2007. Yeah. And uh, it cost Edmonton a first, a second, and a third. And then the Oilers flipped Penner back for Colton Tubert in a first. The first turned out to be Oscar Kleppbaum. Yeah. I'm going to just take a trip down memory lane here. Did, were you not involved in a, a situation with yeah. San Jose, was, summer with 93? San Jose, yeah. with, my, with my back injury that I had, uh, the Oilers didn't offer uh, the 10% uh, on top of my old deal. So they only had the rights to compensation. They didn't have the rights to match any offer. And the Sharks were kind of creative in trying to make a deal where I basically would have had, a, a I think, the minimum salary and the rest was all in bonuses. And uh, so that the Oilers weren't going to get much. In, in the end, I signed a deal that I was actually really surprised uh, was going to be uh, laid out to me. The commissioner deemed that it went against the, I don't know, uh, nowadays I probably get away with it, but it went against, circumvented the uh, ideals of the collective bargain agreement. So it ended up being, uh, they did one with me and Kelly Miller from the Washington Capitals, and both of them were rescinded. So that's where I ended up being traded uh, to Boston. You know, it's interesting. I mean, and, and I remember this as a, you know, because I, hey, I'm from Edmonton and the Oilers were my team. And I mean, there was a run on guys, starting with uh, Jeff Cartnell in the summer of uh, 88. He, of course, was kind of a bit player for you guys on that uh, year first championship with the team in 87, yep. 88. Um, Adam Graves, who by 90, was a pretty important part of the Oilers moving forward. Uh, yep. And he ended up... Uh, you know, uh, going to the Rangers, the Oilers got back Troy Mollett. Yikes! Yeah, uh, that was that was that was a bad, a bad trade off. You know, the ones this year, the ones this year, Bob, that are most intriguing are the ones that aren't going to be a, a huge compensation battle. Like so, nowadays, Toronto. The, so Toronto. So yeah, Toronto. Two guys in Toronto. Yeah, Kapan, Kapanen and Janssen to me are the most probably the biggest potential for one because you're looking at the Leafs and understanding. The mess that they have cap-wise with Marner still to be signed. We got Marlowe still there at six million, and so yeah, you, you know, you you'd be looking at a four four and a half million, which is not much in terms of compensation, but really puts a run and a ring in uh, in Toronto's position to 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 match it. So I think if if you are thinking of an offer sheet, that to me is the prime target to be. Because of all the ancillary things that go on with the Leafs trying to sign their big guy, um, you know, I, I think it does leave it wide open. And it's not one for your, if you're the team that's making the deal. I, I think this is a unique scenario where you're getting two really good players and you're not, you know, over the moon overpaying for them. And, and that's the real problem at times when, when guys aren't at the level that they should be salary-wise. I think that's where it's the most hardest. I remember Dave Manson, a member in Edmonton, signed yep. an offer sheet and it got matched. And Mance came in trying to be a different player because he was making way more money than he should have been. And that was hard to handle for him, trying to be a different player instead of just the good player that he was. So I think this is a unique scenario where they won't be hugely overpaid, 
but from the salary structure of Toronto, if I'm another team that wants to get Jesus, well, they've been 20 goal scorers, but potentially 30, 35 goal scorers that are good two-way players, uh, I think it's uh, it's one of those unique scenarios where, where they might get one or two of those two. All right, so Andreas Janssen's one of them. He had a 20-plus goal season, Casperi uh, Kapit in the other, and they waited a bit for Kapitan to gain some traction, and this year he, he broke the 20-goal plateau. Uh, yep. One's a left wing, one's a right wing. Who's a better fit for Edmonton? Uh, I like as a oof, better fit for Edmonton. Uh, I think as an all-around player, I think Kapitan's a little ahead. I think he does a lot, both uh, killing penalties. He's really developed. Sorry, I got a helicopter going over top of me. Uh, he's, he's a guy that I think can play in every single role. Sorry. It's all good. Um, I think Janssen has an upside uh, offensively that he hasn't necessarily had, but I, I think the better of the two players right now uh, in an all-around game, which is what you're really trying to develop in Edmonton, I, I think Kapanen is a, is a really good fit that can play both the right and the left side. Great stuff, Craig. Uh, we'll be watching tomorrow night. Thank you again for joining us on Oilers Now, and who knows? Maybe you'll be back in Edmonton by next Wednesday. Yeah, we're, we're getting to the finish line for sure. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for your time. That's Craig Simpson from NHL Hockey and Rogers. It is 12.54 in Edmonton. You can text us at 6.30, Interesting stuff. This is Oilers Now. This is Milan Lucic from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 6.30 Ched. Thanks, Milan. There's another storyline for you to keep an eye on. Uh, you can text us at 6.30, 6.30, tweet us at Oilers Now. Uh, Todd texts the show to say, Bob, just thinking about what you were suggesting, could you imagine a line of Cassian, Kara, and... Uh, Richie running around big, fast, and can score a bit. What do you think? So he's suggesting I'm going to assume Nick Richie from Anaheim uh, because Brett Richie's going to be. My guess is Brett Richie will be a free agent because he makes about 1.75 million, and I cannot see uh, Dallas qualifying him after he didn't break double digit in goals the last two years. And yes, on a contract similar to what Alex Chason got, I would bring Brett Richie in at 750, 800 thousand in that range. Um, BH says, Bob, the Edmonton Oilers to trade Yessa Poliarvi and Kyler Yamamoto to Detroit for Danny DeKaiser. Not a chance. Like, how, how good is DeKaiser? The Oilers have lots of defensemen. They don't need to do that. Uh, again, you can text us at 630-630. Bob, what about these, uh, so, uh, Players Ian Mitchell, Chicago defenseman, Alexi Hepaniemi, who's a second-round pick out of uh, Florida, Tyson Jost, uh, Isaac Ratcliffe, a Florida's pick, or Alex Nylander. Uh, the most comparable to Pugliarvi would be Nylander. I don't think the Flyers would give up on Ratcliffe yet. There's no way Colorado would miss Tyson uh, trade Tyson Jost at this time, I believe, for uh, Pugliarvi. Uh, I think that uh, poliarvi has got a higher upside than Hepaniemi. Mitchell, I've heard good things about out of Chicago. Chicago's got a lot of D. 12.58 in Edmonton. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Cassandra Jodoin. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Dave Tippett as well as Alex Turcott. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad.